Welcome to Equiocity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and lots of other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. Dominique and I both love training, and when the two of us get together, it's a non-stop conversation. And that's what we want to share in these podcasts. We want to share our love of horses and the relationship that we have with our own horses and also our passion for training that we have. And I'm sitting here with Dominique and having a hard time doing this (laughs) intro and keep from laughing because we've been looking, listening to possible music for the intros and we found these really happy, perky little musical trailers. And Dominique is here doing the the dance along to the musical trailers and it's really quite And Alex is trying to read her intro without bursting into a laugh. That's right, that's right, (laughs) that's right. So... So we'll be serious. Let's get serious now. <laughs> well, and if we're going to talk about your goats, it's hard not to be joyful. <laughs> That's right, because goats do make you laugh. They are the, and I really, I knew that goats were fun to train, but I didn't realize what absolute charmers, and they just make me giggle. They're 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 so much fun. It's been really interesting working with them because we've talked about a lot of things with the goats and how much they inform you about horse training and the horse training helps me to figure out what to do with these two young goats. She brought a yearling to the barn and said, here Alex, here you've got a couple weeks, put a nice foundation on this yearling thoroughbred. I would have a roadmap for that. I'd know what, where to begin, what I wanted to do and what to emphasize and always, always, always the individual animal, whatever it is, tells you what they need to work on. So if, if you have a horse that's really excited by the food, you know that you've got to put a lot of time and focus on stabilizing their behavior around the food. And we've got all of these lovely foundation lessons that help you with that. So we talked with the goats about teaching them to go to mats and how that really helps because it gives them a place to be. And you can begin to step back from them. And as they stay on the mat and you step back from them, then you can click and reinforce and move into them. So they get comfortable moving in. You're moving in and out of their space and they stay on their mats. And it's the beginning of detaching from the treat pocket. And we talked about targeting. That's another of the core foundation lessons. And what I kept finding with the goats is that the roadmap that I would follow for the horses was the roadmap that I needed for the goats, that I knew how to train goats, at least to put this core foundation of really stabilizing the behavior. So maybe we can go through what the foundation lessons are just rapidly, because this whole notion of keeping the animals in a good emotional control, I think is so important when we click a train, because we do get very enthusiastic animals, and, and the line can sometimes be thin, yes. where the enthusiasm becomes excitement, can become frustration, and so... I think that's such a key part of being a good clicker trainer. Yes. That So what you have found over the years is that these foundation lessons really help with keeping the animal emotionally in control, calm in the learning process, right. which 
it reduces the frustration that you're going that you can sometimes fall into when something that was just reinforced isn't working anymore and now you're in an extinction process right so in the early days of clicker training when we were very first discovering wow you can make this funny sound this click and give a horse some treats and get behavior to happen it's so exciting when you're first discovering clicker training what you just what you find is that it's very easy to teach behavior yep it's easy to get animals your dog your horse your goat your guinea pig to do things yes. getting behavior is easy and fun and fun yeah. yes yes and it's exciting when you yeah. have this horse that is normally sort of stuck in in mud kind of feel is suddenly backing 20 feet to, with you know, enthusiasm with enthusiasm i mean how can you not be really excited by that yep. until you discover that oh my goodness i want to just brush my horse and he's backing 20 feet right. and it feels like i've messed up my horse or the horse is what we've referred to as rolodexing, where he's he's not sure what to do. So he goes through his repertoire of everything that you've reinforced, and he's just throwing behavior at you. And yeah. you see that with the dogs. And all of a sudden, you're thinking, oh my God, have I created a monster? Yes, yes. And so how do you not do that? How do you not do that? Yes. So we follow this poor repertoire of behaviors. So oftentimes, we're starting with targeting. That's a great way to introduce an animal to the idea of clicker training. You hold a target out and the animal orients to that target. You click, you reinforce the animal. And it's data collecting. When I present the target, I'm learning a lot about that individual. Is he curious about the target? Does he orient to the target once, then realize, oh, there's food involved, it completely ignores the, the target and starts mugging my pockets? Is he timid? Does he hide in the back corner of the stall? I've always said if, if you were going horse shopping, say you're gone to look at three or four horses in a barn and you do a little bit of basic targeting and the first horse touches the target, gets his treat, chews, think, takes his time, swallows, really then thinks about, okay, what do I do next? Hmm, let me stretch my nose out touches the target. That's how that individual is processing that experience. The next horse touches the target, gets the treat, gets, oh, wow, let me touch it again. Gets the treat, wow, let me touch it again, gets the treat. Two very different individuals. Yeah. One is not better than the other, but the first horse, one person might say, oh, that horse would bore me to tears. Mm. But the other horse, that would be so exciting. Hmm. Or if you're a dog person, it's, wow, give me that, that border collie, or, oh my goodness, that would so overwhelm me. Mm -hmm. And somebody else might look at the horse who takes his time and is slower and go, that is such a good match with me because right. I need that thinking time. And that fast horse would just overwhelm me. Yeah. Yeah. So you learn so much about the horses just from the basic targeting. And then what a phenomenal tool it becomes as you are teaching other things. So the targeting is one. Yeah. And then what I refer to as the grown-ups are talking, please don't interrupt, which simply means that I can stand in my own space and the horse is standing next to me and his head is looking straight ahead, sort of even between his shoulders. It's at a comfortable height. So his nose is about level with the point of his shoulder. And point of it is that he can be emotionally settled in the presence of food. 
So initially, the food is a distraction. We all know that. It's why a lot of horse people say, oh, don't use food in training, it distracts the horse. We say, great, we do a lot of distraction training with horses. We ride horses in environments where there are flapping tarps. Why? To get them accustomed to working even when there are things in the environment that are competing for their attention. Well, food is competing for their attention. So let's teach them how to be able to focus even when my pockets are filled with goodies. And once I've taught that, then the food becomes available to me as a useful tool. And the grown-ups are talking is, it provides punctuation. It lets you ask for some excitement. Give me a little bit of trot. So your the, the energy level goes up, the arousal level goes up, the adrenaline may go up. And then you can say, okay, we've just had that lovely bit of trot now can you show me that you can settle and stand next to me in this calm demeanor? So can you come back into calmness? Can we have that moment of stillness? It gives me time to think. Yeah. And because I've reinforced it so much, it becomes for the horse a really good thing. So it's, it's got this huge history of reinforcement behind it. So going into grown-ups or talking becomes a conditioned reinforcer. It becomes a behavior they enjoy. So hugely important. These foundation lessons, they're not something, it's not a checklist of, oh, I got my horse to touch a target. Yep, done that. Now let me move on. These are things that stay with the animal, stay with your training throughout your animal's life and just become more useful, more powerful, more generalized throughout everything that you do. They're the basic manners just as we have basic manners that allow us to work cooperatively. These are the basic manners that allows for a human and an animal to work cooperatively. So then we have, we have backing, yep. which moves the horse out of your space. And one of the things that you find really early on is in the training is that the, the very first things that you teach to your horse, your dog, whatever animal you're working with, those are the things that under stress, if, if they're under stress because they're a little confused by a lesson or the environment has just gotten complex, maybe their friend just left the arena or their friend just came into the arena, who knows. But when there's a little bit of, of learning stress, they will regress back to the very first things that they learned. It's their default behavior. It's their default, right. So these are precious. So when I first start out with the clicker training, I don't want to throw that away by teaching something frivolous or something that, unless I really understand stimulus control, it's going to be a problem. Yeah, like if the first thing you teach a horse is Spanish walk, and he <laughs> always defaults to, to Spanish, Spanish walk, walk, you're not going. You're going to think I should have. Yeah, I taught him. Grown ups are talking, talking instead. Yes, yes because yes. it's not a very practical default. No, it isn't. But if my horse is under stress and he backs away from me, I, That's I a very like good that. One. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And this backing is the spirit of this backing is is different from what you hear a lot in traditional training when people have their horse back up. Right. It's not a punishing backing. No. It, not at all. It's foundation lesson. And they, I mean, your horse is an example of a horse who loves to back, to back up. up. Yes. Maybe you can tell a little bit about that. Well, Robin is, he's, yes, <laughs> he, 
he thinks backing is a very, very fun behavior because when I was at the boarding barn, I wanted him to have as much turnout as possible. So I would put him out in the indoor arena in the evening when I was doing chores. And the shavings pile where you get fresh shavings for the stalls was at the far end of the arena. And I would take my wheelbarrow down and I'd be getting the, shoveling the, the shavings into the wheelbarrow. And Robin would be down there being mother's little helper. And so he would be offering me behavior. And it's very hard to fill a wheelbarrow when you have a horse who's wanting to be actively involved with you. So I just started reinforcing him for shifting his weight back just a little bit. So he'd shift his weight back, I'd click, I'd reinforce him, I'd get maybe a my shovel partway into the shavings pile, he'd shift his weight back, I'd click and reinforce him. You can think this is going nowhere fast. How is this ever going to work? But very quickly, he was backing a full step or two or three, and now I could actually get a shovel full of shavings into my wheelbarrow. And now he's backing five or six or seven or eight steps, and I can put several shovels full in. And now he's backing 60 feet to the other side of the arena and turning the corner and continuing to back. Then when I would walk the wheelbarrow back to the barn, he would come and join me and he would back the length of the arena next to the wheelbarrow. I wasn't asking him to do that. That was his choice. Yeah, joyful backing. Joyful backing. Yeah. And of course, I'm giggling the whole way. Right. The point with the backing is... We need it for so many things. It's part of creating a great stop in a horse, of creating breaks. It's part of collection. So I never, never want to use backing as a punitive tool. Mm. I never want to correct a horse by making them back because I want them to love to back. And I I don't want them to be afraid of backing. Mm. It's part of a dance. So for that, for my horses, it's just another behavior that yeah. gets reinforced. It's a positive behavior they love to do. Yes, and it's like any other behavior right. that has been highly, highly reinforced. Right. And that's such an important understanding that I may be using it at times to redirect a horse. So I have a horse who's in a hurry going forward. If I've taught him to back... I can redirect him into an opportunity for reinforcement. You use it, you can use it, like we said before uh, in a previous podcast, for every exercise you teach, there's a counter exercise you must teach to keep things in balance. So you can use it to keep things in balance, but it's not the same as saying, if you don't do this, I'm going to make you back up. Exactly. It's very different. Very different. If I have a horse who knows how to back, and I've clicked and reinforced him a lot for backing. What can happen, and, and, and particularly if I have done what we refer to as the free shaping, where I've not used any prompts, I've just waited for that shift of balance. I have a horse who knows backing and who's going to start offering backing in a way to see if he can get me to reinforce him. And if he's just been reinforced a lot for backing, and suddenly I say, oh, well, I don't want the backing, I'm not going to reinforce you, I can put that horse into an extinction process, into a macro extinction. We all know what that feels like. That's that you put your money into the vending machine and nothing's uh, coming out. Nothing comes out. And what do we do? We shake the vending machine. We, you know, whatever your past history is. Or for me on the computer, when something isn't working and we have that, 
the computer side. Or you side. press the button, the keypad yes, three yes, times. Yes, yeah. yes, We so, all go through that. And we know how frustrating, how angry we can sometimes get. And those are emotions that, to the best of my ability, I want to avoid with my animals. Sometimes we fail. And you have a bit of frustration, particularly with new learners, where you're unraveling some of their past history and they're colliding with expectations of, well, I'm supposed to do this or this should work. And they don't yet have enough repertoire to redirect into things that do work. So with the backing, if I've taught my animal to back up and I've also taught targeting, well, I have a wonderful way to balance those two things. If you're backing, I can draw you forward with a target or I can go into grown-ups or talking. So now I'd, instead of backing, I'd like you to go into grown-ups. And what we learn with the horses is that the cues evolve out of the shaping process. We have animals that are so, so body aware that in a very real sense, you can't not cue. So the cues evolve with the shaping process and our job really is to notice the cues so that we can begin to use them to our advantage. So we have the targeting, the grown-ups, the backing, and then we have what I refer to as happy faces, which on the horses is, can I free shape having the horse put his ears forward? And there are a couple of reasons for doing that. One is that we respond to horses very differently when they have a pleasant expression. And so when I can shape a horse, when he looks at me, his ears come forward and his eyes soften and he looks at me with that look that just makes me go weak at the knees, that I will respond to that animal differently. And I learned this really clearly years ago. Um, I was given a pair of llamas and they were, they were great fun to have, but we had them at the boarding barn. And initially, all the other boarders who were there, instead of being excited that we had a pair of llamas on the farm, isn't that exciting? They would all go, oh, llamas spit. Right. Right. Because there was a one of those game farms south of us that had llamas in a petting zoo, and everybody had a story of having a llama spit at them. Right. So I needed, because, you know, I'm, I'm just a boarder. This isn't my property. I needed the llamas to have better PR. So I'd shape them to put their nose against the side of my face. So it looks like they're giving me a kiss. Okay. And then people said, oh, those llamas love you. Mm. Now, I don't know what the llamas were feeling. I don't know if they liked me, didn't like me, loved me, didn't love me. But the humans read that behavior as mm. that animal loves you. And they softened to the llamas. Mm. So when we have a horse that when he sees you, puts his ears forward and looks pleasant, it's a safety net for that horse. Mm -hmm. You're building a safety net under that horse that helps to keep him in the relationship. If the horse is always looking sour every time you walk by and he's doing other things, that safety net becomes a little frayed around the edges. I also want people to when they start paying attention to what the ears are doing and what the eyes look like, they start to pay attention to the body language in general. And yeah. they start to notice, oh, my horse is a little frustrated. Mm. My horse is feeling a little tired. My horse is really enjoying this. Yeah. You know, they start reading the body language more. And then the other thing that it does for them is 
it gives them that experience in a very safe way of free shaping, of looking at some element, some piece of behavior, and without prompting it, without using a lead, without using a target or a food lure, can I get this change in the behavior? Because that's the magic of clicker training. That's what makes us all just love clicker training is that we don't have to manipulate and push and shove and drag and, and order the animal around and make it happen. We can just lean against the side of our barn and look at some little muscle shift and before you know it, your animal is backing 20 feet. But with the... And it feels like magic. And it feels like magic. And it looks like magic. But if you don't understand stimulus control, if you don't understand yet about cues, because you're new to all of this, that's when things can get out of balance. My so stimulus control, meaning for people who haven't heard this expression, that an animal will do a behavior after you've cued it to do this behavior, right. will not offer this behavior when you're not cueing. Correct. And what people will often say is they've just been reinforcing this course for backing up. Now they don't want the backing, but they've become a cue for backing. Mm. And the behavior is hot. The, the whole context to the horse is saying, wow, if I back up, she'll give me a goodie. But now you don't want the behavior anymore. And so arbitrarily, you've stopped asking for backing. You're saying, well, I didn't ask for it. I didn't cue it. And the horse is backing because you don't yet have a real complete picture of how to establish cues and how cues work. And on one of these podcasts, we'll have to talk about the difference between commands and cues because that's an important subject. So if if you free shape the backing or you free shape some of these other behaviors, that's when sometimes you find that things are out of balance and you're in that Rolodex scene, this doesn't quite feel right. How do I get things back under control? With the ears forward, I can give you that experience of free shaping a behavior in a way that's safe. Because nobody, I've never heard anybody get mad at a horse for putting his ears forward when they didn't ask for it. Mm. So it gives you a taste of that. It begins to have let you have that experience, but it with a behavior that's very safe to, to have fun with. Mm. And if you have a donkey, then you of course have to do even more <laughs> because then you can have, you can teach the, the cute tricks of ears forward means yes, ears back means no, and one ear forward, one ear back means maybe, so you can ask them, so do you like carrots? Yes, ears go forward. Do you like broccoli? Maybe. You can have fun with that. Let's see, so we had targeting grown-ups, backing, happy faces. What am I forgetting? Mats. Oh, head down. Ah, yes. How could I, how could I forget head lowering? So the head lowering on the horse is really important behavior. You can look at it in one way as it's it's an incompatible behavior with a lot of things that are dangerous. Mm. A horse cannot have his nose on the ground and be rearing right. at the same time. So it can, you can simply think of it as I am replacing behaviors that feel unsafe and that I don't want. Instead of punishing those behaviors, I'm simply replacing them with the head lowering. And that when you are feeling anxious, go to head lowering. Settle into head lowering. And what we find over time is that when you really establish head lowering well, that it is a behavior that the horses use to calm themselves. Mm-hmm. So it leads to calmness. It also leads to a release of the back 
that creates a shift of balance into the hind end and so it's a doorway into collection which may not seem obvious and that's a, a subject for another whole podcast we'll put we'll put some teasers in but head lowering such such an important behavior and then there's the mat work which is the most complex of them and we talked about mats in another podcast and so what i found with the goats was I was really using this core foundation to help them move from being these really excited and sometimes frustrated because it wasn't clear to them yet how the game worked and why wasn't I just flinging the treats onto the floor and giggling like the, the kids would do and leaving them all the goodies to clean up. They were having to figure things out and it's this roadmap that was really helping them. And so I don't work with dogs really I, you know occasionally we'll, we'll have a short play with a friend's dog but you have dogs so is is the would the roadmap be different would it be you know i it's a very interesting question because i haven't used this systematically with my dogs as i have used it with the horses but you know i think it would work i'd have to try it with the dogs and perhaps we can do another podcast on that and I'll let you know what the experience has been I mean certainly targeting is something it's I do universal I do use right grown-ups is really you know about being calm next to you and something you want your dogs to, yes. to have if you are approaching something that they are reactive to you can use that behavior at a distance of course right and reinforce it i mean i can see so many different and, applications and grown-ups is positional so in a sense you're teaching a heel position yeah a calm heel a calm heel position. position backing absolutely i mean it's something that we can do with our dogs the happy faces the head well head lowering we would probably find a position is a settle yeah because for a horse we all know that what they do after they've had if they're grazing and there's something that worries them or that alerts the herd to whoa there's something in the bush yes once they've decided it's not something that they have to worry about they'll go back to grazing yes so for them but it's their a head is up when they're on alert on alert so and when they decide we can all calm down they go back down right so head lowering is is a calming behavior, natural calming behavior. Yes. And so for the dogs, maybe it would be to lie down on their side or something equivalent. The mat, I've done a lot of mat work yes. with, with the dogs. And certainly when you look at Michelle Pouliot's work with, with the, platform with the platforms, yes. I mean, and this is the beauty of those foundation lessons is that each one of them, like you said before, it's a lifelong thing that you can explore because the, it's never ending. Right. It's a basic, it's the basis of it, but I mean, you can push it quite far and they're all tools that you can use to make sure that you stay in that zone of calmness right. and that you always have these tools when you feel that the animal is getting too excited, too frantic, too frustrated. You go back to the basics. Yeah. Or that you want to enrich the reinforcement. So if I have put great depth of reinforcement history into the mats and my animal has just done something really wonderful. Maybe my horse is just giving me some glorious passage, that beautiful elevated trot. And 
And it's not enough to just click and reach into my pocket and give them some goodies. I could say, wow, that was so good. Let's go to the mat. That's right. Why does that work? Because it has such a depth of, of reinforcement history. Yeah, and so when we get into chains, yes, it'll be wonderful to yes. get back to those foundation lessons. And one of the things, you know, for me that I find is that you can never go wrong. If you go yes. back to this, if you have any doubts, you go back to the foundation lessons and you know that you're not going to mess up. That's what I found with the goats because they certainly were offering me some surprises. Goats can move in ways that horses can't. They're young animals full of enthusiasm. I want to make I want to keep that enthusiasm. That's what these the foundation lessons are for is I don't want to suppress behavior. I don't want to suppress personality. I want the enthusiasm. But an anxious animal is not a happy animal. No. An, a, uh, an animal that is feeling conflicted is not a good learner. Mm. So I want the enthusiasm and I want the confidence, which means that I need also the ability to be, to be able to settle and focus. And, and I, want, I want the joy. Always I want the joy. I have, to, I have to share with you, this may not be fair on a podcast, but you haven't seen the goats. So let me show you, I, I think I've got this clip. Let me show you what these goats look like. So I started out, as I say, I started out with sitting in a chair and feeding them goodies and then moved to targeting and mat work. We started with the stall, which was a very small area. So really managing the environment. And then we moved into the barn aisle. And finally, we moved into the arena. And my arena has this very long multi-step mounting block along one, one side of it. At least I, that's what I thought it was. I thought it was a mounting block. But the goats had other ideas. I'll introduce you to these to these goats. <laughs> they are so cute. <laughs> so they, they've just run up to me. And, and they're up on the mounting block like little agility goats. My God! <laughs> and the way they leap off oh, the mounting so, block. Yeah, the way they jump is just amazing, and they have this little swing in their body. Yes, they're yes. so joyful. Yes. Oh my God! And then they come straight to me, and and you know it's like taking your they two dogs are so out. So adorable! Isn't that just like going for a walk with your dogs? Oh my God! And and then I just click, it's and they're amazing, right back the to me. It's amazing the joy in these little animals. Yes. And the connection. <laughs> and oh, Moses. That's really nice. Yeah. And then all of that is preserved. And then they then they had a bit of a play because it's that so much fun. So then they just get to be goats for a moment. So now they've they've gone, I'm ready to leave. <laughs> and they've gone back onto the mounting block. And and you see what goat behavior when it's goats being goats and not goats interacting with, with a person what it looks like but I just I love the the fact that clicker training allows the personality to stay intact it allows the oh, he loves he to loves. jump on that thing. yes yes that's and a that's really fun that is great fun yeah so we'll, we'll have to put that up on the uh, landing page for the podcast so yeah, people yeah. can see what we're yeah what we're talking the about cutest thing yes that's really and those cashmere goats are especially oh they are pretty they are so pretty yeah. for, for me that is what the foundation lessons give us they give us joy 
They give us enthusiasm. They let us enjoy all the things that are the most fun about clicker training, that the shaping of behavior in, in a way that is not compelling behavior. We can allow all of this beautiful expression and still have that element of stability and emotional control in our yeah. animals. It gives structure around the training. Yes. It's yes. a good guide for people who want to do good clicker training. Yeah. And I mean, certainly if, if they want to have more on the foundation lessons, you have a whole online course about it. Yes, yes. Um, very thorough and detailed with video. And certainly if someone wants to explore that, um, that's right. the information is available. Right. We've just talked about it briefly, but the, the real, the how-tos sit in the, the books, the DVDs, the online course. So absolutely would send people there. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that little, <laughs> little plug. And, and I think that's a, a good place to, to end and let yeah. people absorb some of this. So great conversation. And I'm looking forward to the next one. Bye-bye. We've made the GOAT video available in the Equosity.com website. And we have also prepared something a little different for you this time in the bonus material. We talked about the foundation lessons, the six behaviors which I teach as the core clicker training repertoire. Woven into these are the training principles. Whenever a horse presents me with a training puzzle, I go first to these principles. They help me find the lessons that will solve the puzzle. I've distilled many of these principles down into training mantras. Anyone who has been to one of my clinics or watched my DVDs will have encountered them. You've heard some of them in these podcasts. So instead of giving you another article, we've designed a poster for you. It features one of my favorite, most used mantras. The poster is waiting for you in the members library. Go to equiosity.com to subscribe. You'll receive an email with the access code. And if you are already a member, just log in and you'll be able to download the poster. We're also preparing something else for you. On April 21st at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, we're going to be hosting a webinar. This webinar will be your opportunity to join in the conversation. You can read about the webinar in our website, equiosity.com. We always have more to say about all the topics we've discussed so far, both in the podcasts and in the bonus article. That's very true. When we were preparing the bonus article for the second podcast, the one on taproot behaviors, we had quite the email exchange. You had lots of questions about condition reinforcers, and I suspect there are many more to come. So if you have your own questions, or you just want to listen in as we continue the conversation around the topics we've covered in these podcasts, I hope you'll join us. If your questions begin with, what's a webinar? Visit our website, equiosity.com, for more information. We want to get people involved in these conversations. You can be the proverbial fly on the wall and just listen in, or you can ask your own questions and share in the conversation. We're very much looking forward to seeing where you take us. Remember, the webinar is April 21st at 1.30 Eastern Time. 
do join us for another great conversation. And we'll be starting our second series of podcasts next time. Enjoy! Enjoy!